Wake you up a little bit. Romans chapter 1. Let's go back there. We'll recap a little bit from the morning. I will certainly be brief in my recap. <laughs> Lose all of you before we even get through that. But uh, praise the Lord. Thank you again. It has been, it's been a great day. You know, it's fun. We choose. Uh, Brother Andrew, I'm assuming that is Pastor Thomas, Pastor Legault's choices right there. And, uh, you know, we've got a hymn book. Our hymn book has nearly 900. It's 880-something. I can't remember what the new editions are. 880-some-odd uh, hymns. And we sing a lot of them, in case you're wondering. We sing far more in our church than they do in most uh, most churches, they've got about they've got about 25, you know, that they run out there, and that's about all they do. And you guys literally will do hundreds out of that book, and uh, whew, it is it is amazing some of the things that have been written and put to music, praising our God and our Savior and how wonderful He is. And uh, once again, if you wanted to reckon up all the greatness of who He is. And what he has done just in a single life, let alone in all the lives he has ever worked on. How innumerable the greatness of God is. That's why his greatness is unsearchable. You can't find the ends of it. You can, you can search an entire lifetime. You can search 10 or 12 lifetimes. You know what you'll get? You'll get, I still can't plumb the depths of the greatness of the God of the universe. And so tonight, Romans chapter 1, I could preach on that for a while. I better just, uh, let's, let's go with what we got here though. Uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse number 13, he said this, Now I would not have you ignorant brethren that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And this morning we were looking at uh, Paul. He's making that statement. He's prepared. He's ready to preach the gospel. And I find oftentimes that we're not ready. We're, we're unprepared. We're underprepared for that cause. We're underprepared for the task that we've been given. And there are some things that I think if we'd remind ourselves of or we would actively try to become, we'd actively try to move toward, we'd try to let God make those changes in our life, that we would be able to become those that are prepared to preach that gospel, to give the gospel to a lost world. And so as we looked right here, you've got a couple of them immediately. The first was that we were a debtor. Uh, we're debtors. We're not just debtors to Jesus Christ because he gave his life and paid, his, paid the debt of all of our sins. We're not just his debtor. We're debtors to a world. Uh, the Greeks and the barbarians, the civilized people and the uncivilized people, the wise and the unwise, the smartest people you know and the people who aren't so smart. All those folks, you know what they need? They need a savior. And you're indebted. Uh, and the debt is that you got in on something you didn't deserve and everybody else could have it if you'd go ahead and let them know about it. They could have it. Uh, and, the, and the stop is that you don't think you owe them anything. But the world know that God knows that the world is owed you being a testimony for them. They need us. Uh, they need us. 
Uh, and you're indebted to them. Uh, and you ought to be ready to give the gospel because of that. The second thing we saw was in verse number 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Uh, unashamed. Be unashamed of the gospel. Be a debtor, but be unashamed that the gospel of Jesus Christ is there. Don't be ashamed that you have a Savior. Don't be ashamed that the gospel is preached. Don't be ashamed that there's that line in the sand in between you and them and that they, have, they don't have what you have and they understand you have Jesus Christ. And go ahead and put that line down in the sand and say, hey, I know you stand over there, but this is where I stand. I'm going to identify with my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And go ahead and do that. You know, the problem that we have is we get ashamed of that. We get quiet. And it keeps us quiet. And it doesn't work well. That's not going to give anybody the gospel. Don't be ashamed of what he's done for you. And then uh, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we won't turn there for the sake of time, he tells the church at Corinth that he has become all things to all men, that he might by all means save some. I am become all things to all men. He, you know what you need to do? You need to become... All things to all men. Now, he does put the governs on there, right? He puts the limitation on it. I still stay under the law of Christ, under the law of God. I don't go and I'm not doing immoral things. I'm not following immoral character. I'm not going into sin just so I can fit in with somebody else to give them the gospel. But what he is doing is he's trying to identify some things in their life that he can come on an even playing field with. He can come and he can talk about some things. He can befriend them on a level so that they'll actually listen to him and talk with him and oftentimes we don't take the time to do that we don't think that well if I could just strike up the conversation if I could just get into the just into the mindset of what they have going on if I could just and it doesn't even matter what it is we're so focused sometimes on that spiritual well I've got to keep everything spiritual no you get to them on carnal means so that you can get to them to the spiritual all right, uh, that, that, I mean, right, you invite them over to your house for dinner. They're a bunch of foodies, go ahead and do it, all right? Uh, if you don't know how to deep fry a turkey or smoke a turkey, you can ask Brother James and I, we'll go ahead and set you up. Uh, that's two of the turkeys you ate tonight. Uh, you know, you, don't, you, you, like, you like good food, you know, so you know what you do? Hey, if you like to cook, if you're somebody who cooks, go ahead and invite somebody over. Invite some friends, hey, come on over and go ahead and you don't start the conversation with the Bible. You start talking about all the things and then you start talking about how great it is to have God in your life and how great it is to have a Savior. You work those, you look for the openings. But people oftentimes, they, they, don't, they don't want to make a friendship there. They don't want to make an opening there. But the truth is a lost world needs us to go ahead and connect with them on a level that they can understand. They don't understand spiritual things. Right? Those things are all hidden to them. The God of this world is blind to the minds of them that believe not. And so what do you got to do? Well, you got to go ahead and get to them on carnal things and let them, get them to start seeing you as a human being as opposed to just that weird Jesus guy. Right? They'll realize you're a human being and then they start talking with you and, then, and it builds so that you can go ahead and reach a lost world. Uh, I didn't say this this morning, but uh, the truth is we, we've gotten ourselves into the place where sometimes I believe in insulating ourselves from a world. There must be protection. There has to be something in there to benefit, right? You want to keep your kids safe. You want to keep your testimony. You want to keep, that's an insulation level. But if you isolate, you now can't reach anybody because you're isolated. Insulating is good. Isolating you're not becoming all things to all men. 
you must be able to reach through that, that barrier there to be able to get them the gospel. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. Uh, and I think sometimes we've done a disservice because we isolate more than we insulate. Protect, yes, absolutely. I'm 100% for setting standards and boundaries and that, that's all supposed to be there, right? But don't push yourself so far away that they'll never hear anything. And that's the difficulty. And then, of course, we got to Ephesians chapter 6, and Paul says that he is an ambassador. And we're ambassadors. You have to remember, we are an ambassador. Uh, I am an ambassador. You are an ambassador. And we were given 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you were given a ministry of reconciliation. And so our character, our conduct, everything that we do is to present Jesus Christ to a lost world to get them the gospel. That's all part of who we are. That is our ministry. That is our goal. That is the thing that we were sent to do. That is the job of the Christian. The sole job that we all have is to give the gospel. You realize that's the one job we all have? Not everybody is going to pastor a church. Not everybody is going to be a missionary. Not everybody is going to play the piano and play the organ and lead the music. Not everybody's going to do that stuff. Everybody is supposed to give the gospel. Because every one of us is an ambassador. We are representing the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost world. And then he says in uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. And I mentioned it this morning. I think this is our biggest holdup right here. Our biggest holdup is we won't get out of the way and do things his way. We won't crucify our flesh and instead we make the excuses for why we don't tell somebody. Why we don't go out of our way to. Why we are too busy. Why we don't know enough. Why we don't have the ability to do that. By the way, uh, you can read over all the gifts of the ministry and soul winning is not on the list of gifts. Because it's not a gift, it's a command. That's the difference. The difference, he didn't go, if God gave you the gift, preach the gospel to every creature. <laughs> no, he said, uh, you got a gift, it's eternal life. I gave you my son. I gave you the gift of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> okay, now you go and tell everybody. <laughs> You got the gift, and the gift was salvation. And because of that gift, that gives you the ability to preach the gospel to everybody. That's how it works. But we don't get out of the way. We don't go ahead and do that. And so instead, uh, we let ourselves be pulled down and slowed down and, and distracted and detracting from the gospel. We go ahead and keep moving away from it as opposed to doing what he asked of us. And so now that's five, all right? And now we got five more, all right? Second Timothy chapter one, if you would. Most of you are here this morning, so you got most of that already. But Second Timothy chapter one, we'll pick it back up and continuing. On what we need to be, on how to be prepared to give the gospel, to preach the gospel. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, he says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. There it is. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. There that is again. Nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God. Who hath saved us. 
and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given unto us, uh, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Uh, he is not ashamed again. But this time it's not a question of the gospel. This time it's being, not being ashamed to suffer because of the gospel. He's going, hey, look, uh, we've got problems and we've got troubles and we've got trials. We've got all these things that are happening. But the truth is, you and I, we understand God doesn't have a spirit of fear for us. He's given us power and love and a sound mind. And so we're supposed to be able to do the ministry that he's called us to do. We're supposed to understand that he's called us with a holy calling. And that we are supposed to go ahead and work according to his purpose and grace. Well, it's his purpose. Jesus' sole purpose, his first advent, was to win. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. He came to give his life a ransom for many. He came to die and be raised again that third day to seal victory for everyone. His job, his goal, his purpose was to taste death for every man. That was his purpose. Well, then his purpose for you is to make sure you understand that everybody needs to hear about what he's done. But he goes, hey, guess what? There's some afflictions that come with it. I suffer these things. You know, people don't like when you give them the gospel. The gospel to the world is the savor of death. To us that are saved, it's the savor of life. But to them, it's the stench of death for them. They don't like it. A lost world doesn't like to be told that they're sinners. A lost world doesn't like to be told that their religion's no good. A lost world doesn't like to be told that their good works outweighing their bad works won't make any difference. A lost world does not like to be told that they will spend eternity in a lake of fire without Jesus Christ. They do not like it. They flat don't like it. So you know what you'll do? You'll suffer some things. Now, we don't suffer some great things like they do over in uh, foreign countries and, and different areas. We're not talking about being in the Middle East. We're not talking about being in India or China or Pakistan. Or, we're not talking about one of those places. We're talking about here in the United States of America where you and I have great liberty to do a lot of what we do. And we get persecuted still. I mean, they're not taking us and killing us and burning our church down. But there's some things that we suffer. You lose friends. You lose different family members don't, are no longer family members to you, basically. They walk away and they leave you and, and you don't get to hear from them unless something special is happening or something like that. And, and the church has become more of your family than your family is. We got plenty of people in the church like that. This place is more family to them than any of their relatives ever are. If they need something, they call here. They don't call them. <laughs> That's just how it is. And you say, why? Because they don't see what I see. I preached the gospel and they didn't want me. 
They don't want me around. They don't like me. They don't want to deal with me. And we suffer some things. Well, it's not that great and it's not that. Yeah, but it's still suffering. That's a hardship. You so desperately want your family and friends to come to Christ and to see what you see. And you preach the gospel to them and they cast you away. That's suffering. That's suffering. And that's hard some days. But are you willing to not be ashamed of having to suffer for him? Isn't it worth, isn't it worth the chance that they could trust him? Knowing that you could get some suffering because of it. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that should be revealed in us. One day, one day it's all going to get squared up. And there may be some suffering today, and there may be some people that don't like it, and there may be some people you make unhappy, and it may be perfect strangers. You know, it's strange, you and I, we oftentimes will gladly uh, make a family member feel bad, or we'll gladly offend a family member, but we, when we get to a perfectly good stranger, uh, <laughs> we're like, oh, I don't want them to hate me. I don't want to give that cashier a track. I don't want to give that waiter a track. I don't want to give so-and-so. I don't want to do that. I mean, they're probably never going to see me again. But boy, I mean, they might not like me for that. And he says, hey, God didn't give us the spirit of fear. We know there's some things that could happen. We don't know what they're going to do when you go up and approach them. But if you're crucified with Christ and you say, hey, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. And he says, go talk to them. You know what you can do? You go talk to them. And you can say what you need to say. You say, well, what if I suffer for it? Then count it all joy. We understand that. Peter talks about it. He talks about our sufferings. And you ought to suffer as a righteous man and not suffer for your disobedience. You ought to suffer for doing the right thing. And sometimes suffering comes. But it doesn't change. You need to be unashamed. Unashamed that suffering comes. You know, Jesus Christ suffered. He suffered. He tells us in Hebrews we ought to bear his reproach. Go without the camp and bear his reproach. Identify with him. Well, if you're not ashamed of the gospel, you can't be ashamed of the Savior, and then you can't be ashamed if you suffer with him. You know, it used to be people counted it a privilege to suffer for Jesus Christ. To be counted worthy to suffer. And now we look around and go, well, that could cost me. And I don't think I want to do that. He's saying, hey, you know what? I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Look back just a couple of books to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to try to stay awake while I preach, okay? You stay awake while I preach. I'll try and stay awake too. All right. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 10. You know the spot. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. 
Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Uh, how about this? Uh, you'd be a whole lot more prepared to give the gospel if you were content. Be content. You know, the world knows that you want things. I want the next thing, and I want the next thing, and I want the next thing. And it starts going with that idea that we're deserving. We're not a debtor. <laughs> and we're wanting the next thing, and we're wanting the next thing, and we're never content with what we've got. And the world notices that. The world notices that you just keep wanting more and more and more, and you're discontented. Why doesn't God give you what you need? Well, he's, he does. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Then why aren't you content? That lack of contentment, you know what you're doing? You're looking around trying to find more things that would make you content. So you know what you're not watching for? An opportunity to help somebody else. It's still all about what I need. It's all about what I want. I don't want to suffer, okay? I'm not content. I don't like suffering. So you're discontented. You'll start murmuring and complaining that God isn't good enough. And if God's not good enough to meet your daily needs, how in the world is he going to go ahead and preserve you for all of eternity? If he's not good enough to make sure you got food and raiment and take care of that, what kind of a God do you have? I mean, you've got Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel, and he's got the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves, and he's got them at high time. They're supposed to be able to call fire down from heaven, and they can't do anything. And you know what Elijah's over there doing? What's he sleeping? He taking a nap? He just can't hear you? Maybe he needs to set his alarm. Wasn't he supposed to show up? He's making fun of him, and he's joking, and he's pulling right. That's what he's doing. He's just mocking them. And you know, when you keep complaining about God not showing up for you, and you think God did it all wrong, and you think he's not doing it right, and you think everything's miserable and everything's terrible, and you got it so rough, you've forgotten that you've been washed from all of your sins. You've forgotten that he still meets your needs over and over and over again. You're still breathing his air. You're still living this life. And the world hears you murmur and complain, and you know what they think? His God's pretty lousy, can't even give him dinner. Doesn't even take care of him well. By the way, you're well taken care of. But we forget. We forget how well it is. And so because of that, we murmur and we complain and we gripe. And when we do that, the world looks at that and says, their God's pretty lousy. Why would I want to trust him? Better watch out for being discontented with God. Look back a couple of chapters to chapter 1. I am trying to move quickly. I'm trying not to move too quickly, but I am trying to move quickly, all right. I like this one. 
Philippians chapter 1, verse number 12. I, I backed up a little farther, maybe than I needed to, but Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. He's, he's arrested, his bonds, but everybody knows about it. He's suffering. And he says uh, in verse number 14, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the, the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Amazing. And for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified by my body, whether it be by life or by death. That's a fantastic passage right there. He's saying, you know what? I'm in bonds. I'm imprisoned, and I've got people who are waxed bold because I've gone into prison, but they want to stand up for the gospel, and they're going to go ahead and strengthen themselves, and they're going to go ahead and steal their resolve there. And I've got some that are going to preach Christ of contention because they don't like me much, and so they're going to add, they're trying to get me in more trouble, so they're going to preach the gospel a little harder. He says, I don't care what they're doing it for. As long as Christ is preached, I'm all right with it. And he says, but those ones that are preaching the gospel that are steeled and they're doing it out of love for Jesus Christ and love knowing that I'm all right. You know what it is? He said, because I'm set, I am set for the defense of the gospel. That's an amazing statement. I am set for the defense of the gospel. Now, normally we don't have to defend much. The Bible's a sword. It's a weapon. It's not really, you don't have to defend it. It takes care of itself pretty well, all right? But the truth is, when someone goes to attack the gospel and they go to a, try and disprove what the gospel has to say and what Jesus Christ has done, do you know it well enough to be able to use it to defend it? This is the other one that I think is huge. This is the other spot. I think being crucified and this one right here, of not being ready, being set to defend the gospel. They don't know how to answer a question. And you ought to be ashamed of yourself for not learning the answers to the questions. God gave you a book to answer the questions. He, he gave you the answer book. It's sitting right here. Now, we all get to the spot, there's, a, there's questions none of us have an answer for. We don't understand it. It's out of all of our leagues. There's stuff in the Bible. But you know, most lost people don't know anything about those. He didn't say he was set for the defense of every doctrine and every word that he could possibly know in here. 
he was set to defend one thing, the gospel. You know what you ought to be able to know? And this is why people don't witness. You ought to be able to know how to lead someone from the, to the Lord multiple ways and answer multiple questions that they have that normally come up in a conversation about salvation and Jesus Christ. Those ought to be answerable questions. He's not asking you to go ahead and, and explain the entirety of the book of Revelation. That's not what he is set to defend. He's not set to defend, you know, all the little nuances of whether he believes, you know, this and this and all the little, all the weird stuff. He's not there thinking about are there aliens or not, you know, were the dinosaurs here, how long did they live? He was not talking about, he goes, do you know how to defend the gospel? Can you give somebody answers concerning their soul for all of eternity? I said it earlier, if you're wrong on 90% of what you believe, but you've got Jesus Christ as your Savior and the only way to heaven and the only means of salvation, and you have called upon Him and asked Him to save you, you're still going to heaven. That is the main piece. If the gospel is there, you've got it. Everything else can be fixed later. You realize when we get to heaven, everybody in this room, there is zero chance that everybody in this room agrees on everything in the Bible. A lot of it is superficial. It's the little fringe stuff that we don't agree on. We've got some main things. I, went with, I was going through the Constitution with Jared and Jackie, and there's some main things that we believe and we subscribe to and we understand and we hammer home. These are true, and we understand those tenets of our faith and what we believe. But let's face it, the main one that if you don't get right, <laughs> you're in a lake of fire for all eternity is Jesus Christ is the Savior. So, you know, Christian, the first thing you ought to be able to defend is that point right there. Too many Christians, they go, well, I want to know all these other things. No, focus on one thing and one thing alone when you first get started. What, what is sin? How did Jesus cleanse me of my sin? And how do I tell somebody about that? How do I answer the most basic questions? And I guarantee you, you're going to start talking to people, and you know what they're going to do? They're going to ask you a question you don't know an answer to. Remember this, God hath not given us a spirit of fear. Be honest. I don't know that answer. I don't know that off the top of my head. You know, I've had people, this is fun. Do this. Use this. Feel free. Take this and use it. I like this. Uh, they... They kind of look at you funny. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm a pastor, so I'm supposed to know literally every word and where it is in the Bible. Like, I have the whole thing memorized, right? That's the way they look at you, right? And you're like, that's in there somewhere, uh, uh, you know, and you're trying to pull up the number, and you're trying to pull up which book it's in and everything. So this is what I tell them, you know, when they look at me weird. I say, hey, what's your favorite book? Hopefully they've read one, right? That's the other hope. You've got to watch out for that one, right? And they tell you. And you do this. Just say this. Uh, chapter 3, fifth paragraph. What's it say? 
Ah. And then you say this. What's chapter 3 about? Just give, me, just give me the synopsis of chapter 3 in that book. Uh, <laughs> they have no idea. I said, you mean to tell me your favorite book that you have read multiple times, you can't tell me anything that's in chapter 3? I have 66 books, way more chapters, and you want me to pull up whatever information. Guess what? I can't do that. I can't do that all the time. If it's a normal answer, yeah, absolutely. We can normally get that one. We get so worried. Well, I can't answer. It's okay. It's okay. You know what you'll do? I guarantee it. If you're witnessing to somebody and they ask you a question you don't know the answer to, if you have any, any backbone at all, you'll go, I don't want that to happen twice. Hopefully you'll go, hey, I'm not going to let that happen twice. I want to know the answer to that question. And you will go find the answer to that question. If you can't figure it out after a little bit, you call up me, you call Pastor Legault, Brother James, Pastor Kevin. You call one of us and you go, I don't know what this is, but i got to ask this question. Do you got anything? Because I've never heard that question. I've got a group of pastor friends that I talk to often. You know what we all have? We all go, hey, guys, i got asked this. Do you have anything on this? Or, hey, I was reading this. I don't have an answer. I don't know what this is. Have you guys seen this? This jumped out at me. I don't know what this is. Pastors. I'm talking 20 guys. We're messaging each other going, you got anything on this? Because I don't know what that is. <laughs> We're no different. Don't be ashamed to preach the gospel. Be ready to defend it. If you aren't ready, find where you need to work on it. And do the, do the work. Do the work. Be set to defend it. Get your feet planted in the spot where you know, hey, look, if I stand here, I can go ahead and preach and teach and talk. And this doctrine right here, I have got salvation. I can give somebody that answer. And as a Christian, you ought to be able to grow in your faith and get a little more. But if you can't do that, that's ground one. But I think oftentimes people are afraid. Well, they're going to ask me something I don't know the answer to. You're going to have to get over that. You have to put down that spirit of fear. That's all pride, by the way. That's all pride. Well, I have to be able to answer. I'll look dumb if I can't answer. No, you'll look like a human being that doesn't know everything. By the way, people don't even like know-it-alls. All right. So when you don't, when you're like, I actually don't know. You know what they go? I respect somebody who'll tell me they don't know, rather than somebody who's going to lie to me. They've been lied to plenty. You know what they need? They need somebody to be honest with them. Anyway, I'm gonna get all fired up again. We're gonna just let's move. Let's move. Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. Two more. Just two more. I'm doing pretty good too. I think. On time, anyways. Romans chapter 8. I like this. This is... This right here... This is one of those where the rubber meets the road spots right here. This is... If you don't have this, honestly, I don't know how you can be a witness. Verse number 35 here in Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As, was, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. 
Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, you're going to have to be persuaded. Persuaded that nothing is going to happen to you. Eternity is done. You know, people don't like, uh, sometimes they, they don't like arrogancy. But they love confidence. <laughs> ever, right? They don't like the know-it-all. But you know what they do? They like somebody who talks with some authority. Say, so what does that do? When you have accepted the fact that there is nothing you can do to lose your salvation, there is no failing that you could come up with, there is no complete mess you could make that God can't go ahead and go, no, no, that's already paid for. You know what it gives you liberty to do? It gives you liberty to give somebody the gospel because you're confident you've got the gospel. It's the confidence level. The com I am persuaded that what? That nothing's going to take my salvation. And if nothing can take my salvation, then if you got that same salvation, nothing can take it from you either. That's a pretty good deal. But Christians, you know, uh, Christians that don't have eternal security, they're lousy witnesses. They really are. They're lousy witnesses. They don't witness a lot because they're too worried about, am I losing it today? <laughs> they're so unstable. They're so kind of wishy-washy. They're kind of like, well, you know, if I do something wrong, if I say something wrong, if I'm going to, they're always teetering on this edge of falling off. And so they're all too afraid of them, what's happening to themselves to worry about anybody else. But God has secured your soul for all of eternity. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise. He gave you the earnest of the inheritance. He gave you, you know all the verses. We've got 20, 30, 40, 50 of them. Just pile them up. And when you have that security, it makes it a whole lot easier for you to go, hey, this is a great deal. <laughs> this is a fantastic thing that you can get. Salvation is the best gift you could ever get. It doesn't cost you a thing. And it lasts forever. That's a great warranty, by the way. It's not just in this life, it's forever. But Christians that aren't persuaded that way, you know what they are? They're real poor witnesses. Because they're too worried about them. It goes back to that whole idea of self. The selfishness, the self-pride, the self You need to be confident in who you are in Jesus Christ. He saved you. He made you his child. He goes ahead and adopted you. He takes care of all those things. He's washed you forever and there's nothing you can do to mess it up. And you know what that does? That can give you some boldness. That gives great boldness. When you're like, yeah, but I'm a child of God. What, I mean, what else can I do? Paul made the statement right to uh, Agrippa, I would that thou were altogether persuaded. <laughs> he goes, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He goes, I wish that thou wert almost and altogether. <laughs> I think some Christians live their life almost persuaded they've got it. <laughs> and it leaves them in fear and bondage to that fear 
so they don't ever speak up. If they'd be altogether persuaded, Paul was one of the craziest preachers. He's in there getting stoned. <laughs> They're taking him out of the city. They're stoning him. He gets back up and goes back in like, hey, let's do it again. You guys missed. He's crazy. But he was persuaded. A persuaded Christian, you know what he can do? He can turn a world upside down. That's what they did. Look over at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. In verse number 1, I'm going to read a little extra here. I, I think this whole early section speaks well of this, of this exact topic. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned on to fables. Sound anything like our world right now? I mean, I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> I want to because I'm a little fired up about it, but I won't. He says in verse 5, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Unashamed to suffer. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Now, an evangelist, I, I'm going to pause right here. Uh, I have no problems calling, calling guys evangelists, but the work of the evangelist was to evangelize. Right? Their goal was to be a soul winner in an area and do it in particular. That's the idea of the, the evangelist. It's bringing in the good news and winning souls. Oftentimes now we have them as evangelists and they're more of an encouragement to the churches, but... Um, Right there, that's, that's the reverend. Do the work of an evangelist. You say, what is that? Go out and win some souls. Tell them about Jesus Christ. That's what that is. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. He is ready to depart. This is one of those where most people aren't ready to, to depart. Paul goes, you know, he said it earlier, but by life or by death, as long as he gets glory. As long as he gets glory. If they kill me in this prison, that's fine. If because they preach Christ of contention and I take it on the chin and I'm the one who gives his life and, and they take mine because of it, then so be it. As long as Christ gets glory, that's all I care about. Most Christians live, I'm okay with him coming as long as I get these things first. 
as long as I get a family, as long as I get my house, as long as I get this, as long as I get that promotion, as long as I can have my fun, as long as I can whatever, they, they pile it all in there. Lord, don't come until. The problem with that is this. Not just that they don't love his appearing. The problem in the context of preaching the gospel to people is they become so focused on the goal that they want, they lose focus on the goal that he has. They get so hard and focused, I want this, I want these things, I want to have this success in my life, they miss the opportunities because they're not looking up to the one who's going to call them home at some point. It's amazing. When you start longing to be home, heaven, and you're thinking about heaven, and you're thinking about the joys of heaven, you're thinking of people who aren't going to be there. You start going, Lord, if I go today, so-and-so is not going to be there yet. Say, what will that do? If you know his appearing is coming, wouldn't that spur you to witness to somebody? If you thought Jesus Christ, hey, if he put it up on the screen and he said, hey, you know what, uh, guys, I'm going to give the whole church a heads up. Uh, I'm coming on June the 3rd, uh, 2024. And you and I all went, okay, we got another little over, you know, we got over six months. As those minutes started ticking by, you started getting it, and the calendar flipped over to May, and all of a sudden you're like, I need to get busy. We got winter coming. Sadly, right? It's the end of October almost. We're, we're running out of fall real quick, right? And you know what we're all doing at our houses? Almost every one of us. Maybe some of you are more on the ball. But all of us are thinking, what else do I have to get done before the snow flies? Right? We understand. Time's ticking. Okay, what do I have to get done? Because if I don't get this done now, snow's going to fall and I'm not getting it done. <laughs> and it needs to get done before then. And we're going to cram as much into this little time frame as we possibly can, right? That's what we're going to do. And if God put that clock up there, you know what you'd do? Boy, I better hurry up. I better, hurry. I better tell somebody. I, better, I got friends, I got family, I got work, co-workers, I've got this, I've got that. I need to tell somebody. But you know what we don't think? We aren't loving his appearing. We're not thinking about he could come today. We believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. There is nothing left to happen in this world for Jesus Christ to come on down, sound a trumpet, come up hither, you and I leave. There is nothing. There's not one sign that is given to the church. It's all given to the Jews. And all their signs are showing. <laughs> and we get out first. So that means if they're getting signs, we are getting out of here real soon. And if we're getting out of here real soon, you know what we better be? Loving is appearing, so we better go ahead and get busy. Why was Paul so dedicated to being busy? Because he knew Christ could come. He's almost 2,000 years off right here. Paul knew it could be today. When the Lord wants to sound a trumpet, he sounds it. It's done. Time's up. 
a lost world is going to be caught off guard as Christians around the world leave this earth and depart and head home in a moment. They disappear from the planet. The world will be shocked by it. And sadly, Christians will be shocked. And they'll suddenly be in front of their Savior. And they'll think, I never got to tell so-and-so. I wish I had one more chance. Why didn't I say something to? And another story, and another story, and another story. Because you still don't think he could come today. So you and I both do this same exact thing. I do the same thing. I can do it tomorrow. I can do it tomorrow. You know what we tell lost people all the time? Don't wait till tomorrow. Right? We tell them that all the time. Don't wait for tomorrow. You don't know what a day may bring forth. And then the Christian goes, I'll witness to them tomorrow. Why do we do that? I'll tell you why. Because we think tomorrow will always come. And we don't think he'll appear. If we thought he was coming tomorrow, who would you tell? Who would you tell? Maybe that's the person you tell tonight. Maybe you need to make a phone call. Well, I don't want to upset him. Okay. I mean, you might bear some reproach there. Be willing to suffer. Be willing to do. Paul made that statement. I referenced it this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's talking about the gospel. Right? 1 Corinthians 15. The gospel that I declared unto you. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That he was seen of Cephas and so on. And he says, the last of all he was seen of me. Who am not worthy to be called an apostle for I persecuted because he persecuted the church. Then he says this, but I am what I am. <laughs> By the grace of God, I am what I am. God's grace is trying to mold you. He's trying to work on you. He's trying to get you. Because our job, our main focus... Our main task in this life is one singular task. To give the gospel to every creature. To let everybody know there is a Savior that has come into a world. To let everybody know they can have salvation and it's a free gift from God to them. And we don't do it very well. And our excuse becomes this. Paul goes, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And we frustrate the grace of God. And we do what we want to do. And then we try to go, well, I just, I am what I am. But the grace of God had no effect. You are what you are because you're stubborn. You are what you are because you're unwilling to relent and do what he asked you to do. You are what you are because you have chosen to be that. You choose to stay where you are. If you want to be a good witness, you can learn to be a good witness. If you want to learn how to talk to people, you can learn how to talk to people. 
well, I'm too shy. You know, it's strange because Moses said the same thing. And it's funny, Aaron was supposed to talk for him, but it seems to me that in the book of Exodus, Moses does a whole lot of talking and Aaron doesn't do much. Isn't that strange? I mean, you go, well, I just can't really talk. I get tongue. It's not your job. It's not your job to worry about that. Your job is to do the job he asked you to do. And the job, the task he gave you, the ministry that he gave all of us, the purpose for what you have left and the time you have left is to see others come to Jesus Christ by just giving out the gospel. Paul goes, I am ready to give the gospel. He says, as much as in me is, everything I've got, every ounce of being that I have, everything is ready to give the gospel. And I think we live in a day when very few are even remotely ready to give the gospel. We're so consumed with self and our self will and our own plans and our own thoughts and our own things we got going on and the messes we have and the problems we have and the troubles we have that nobody looks up and sees a lost world for what it is. They don't lift up their eyes onto the fields that are white already on a harvest. They're too busy looking down. You know, I'm going to close right here, but I want you to think about this just for a moment. You ever, you know, to go into a parking lot, you walk in, you're driving into the parking lot, right? Let's say you're going into Walmart, you know, and you, you drive that row in front of the building, right? Right in front, like right in front of the doors. You're going to turn down one of, the, one of the aisle ways there and park. And all those people are walking out the doors. You ever see how many of them are just looking down at a phone, or they're not paying any attention to anything. All they do, right? All they do is just walk. <laughs> they, they, just, they just keep walking. And if you don't stop your vehicle, you would run one of them over. And I don't even think they would notice until they had to get up. They don't even notice that you're there. They don't care. They just keep walking as if they're so entitled that your vehicle just obviously couldn't touch them. Right? That's the way that they act. They walk through this life as if it's all about me. And I just walk and everybody else has to move around me and deal with me. And they can get behind me or they can stop for me or they can whatever. But whatever they do, it's just all about me and I'm just going to keep walking. And it doesn't matter what's happening around me just as long as I can keep walking. And that's Christians. They have an entire lost world around them. And they don't even recognize that they are the only light those people will ever get. And they're not ready to give the gospel. They're too focused on themselves. They're too focused on what they want done. They're too focused on all those things and they are not ready. So they never give it out. There's some things that hinder us I hope you're prepared to give the gospel. I hope you're prepared to preach the gospel. If not, we got a little bit of time maybe. Trumpet hasn't sounded yet. So you know what we can do? We can try again.
we can get ready. We had guys at school all the time. Well, I don't want to stay in school and waste all this time when I can go do something for God and a trumpet's going to sound and we're not going to. No, God asked you to be right where you are. Do what you're supposed to do. Well, I, I don't know enough, so start learning. Start growing. I've never gone out on visitation. I don't know what that's all about. Talk to Brother Kevin. Brother Kevin will gladly go with you. He is great walking up to a door, knocking on a door, starting to talk to someone. Brother Kevin is fantastic at that. You want to go talk with somebody? Go ahead. Go with him. He'll show you some stuff. Brother James, Brother, Brother Kevin, and the, Pastor Kevin in the back, Pastor Legault. You go with some of these and, and others in the room. They've gone and they've knocked on the door and they've talked to people and they like talking to people and they can do that. Well, I don't really know how to do that. Go with them. Learn how to do it. There's no excuse to not learn how to do it. There's people who will gladly teach you. They'll gladly teach you. They'll gladly walk up to a door with you and show you how to do it. They'll let you ask them questions. They'll let you talk. You can go ahead and go, I don't know an answer, and ask some people. Hey, I got asked this when I was witnessing. I didn't know what that was. You can, you can grow. You can be ready. You can be more ready every time you go. But there's no reason to not be ready now. To do what you can do today. Nobody's asking you to be able to do everything. God's just asking you to do what he asked. Say, what's that? Preach the gospel. If you're saved in here tonight, you have everything you need to preach the gospel. It doesn't take, it doesn't take a Bible degree. It doesn't take any of that. What it takes, but he's willing to preach the gospel. Let's go ahead and stand. Brother Andrew is going to come and we're going to sing. Didn't look like I had too many closed eyes this evening. But maybe you need to come. Maybe there's some things that you heard this morning, maybe some things tonight, maybe just some, something I may not even have really hit on much, but you know. Or maybe there's somebody in your life that you just go, I ought to pray for them one more time. Lord, give me another good opportunity to witness to them so that they can hear the gospel one more time. I don't know what it is, but you do. If you need to come, please do. Please do. We'll take a moment for the invitation tonight. Father, I pray you would bless, Lord, the invitation even now. Father, we all know people who are lost. We all know people who need a Savior. We all know of those who have rejected you in the past, those who have become enemies almost. But Father, I pray you would soften their hearts and help us to have a chance to witness to them again. Take another try at trying to become all things to all men and trying to win some. Because we're an ambassador of Jesus Christ and we've crucified ourselves to be able to proclaim the gospel that we're not ashamed of. Father, I pray you would bless our night once again in Jesus' name. Amen.